0: Hello and welcome to the latest of these Read All About It podcast extra episodes and this week we will be talking about historical books and I'm delighted to be joined by a history graduate, a master's history graduate no less, uh, my daughter Rebecca Norman. Rebecca, obviously history from your four years at Strathclyde University doing the honours degree and then doing your master's over in Michigan is more than an interest, it's a real passion for you in, in terms of the whole subject.
1: Definitely, and I have spent a good couple of weeks trying to narrow down uh, my choices, <laughs> so it was it was quite difficult. Because
0: I suppose you know it's it's an encompassing subject. Because even when, before we started this, I asked you at what point does history, in terms of the kind of subject matter, what at what point does it begin, and then if it's too near to now, at what point is that kind of more modern studies, contemporary? So we kind of we kind of walked the back. I'll be back to roughly at the end of the Second World War, really, didn't we?
1: Yeah, I mean I would say anything I mean if I'd say if it's within like the last twenty years maybe, that's more modern. So anything I would say anything before that yeah, is that is I probably like counted it. more historical.
0: Yeah. I think we're fine with, with the choices which uh, cover a whole range of things just before we get started on the, the various book choices and it'll be the same as the other ones that I've done with the likes of Chris Dolan and, and Hugh McDonald. we just we've both chosen five books each and we'll just kind of work our way through them but in terms of your when you were studying so that's a good fact at least five years worth of university education studying history is there a particular period either from your studies or just your own interest that is of specific interest to you?
1: Well it's funny because I mean it's kind of reflected in my choices but and also just in kind of literature that I I read just normally and and it's actually nothing (laughs) to do with anything that I've studied before. I'd say I read more about the kind of 14th, 15th, 16th, maybe even 17th century and I had never actually studied that at uni Um, I, I think I'd maybe taken I don't know one or two classes within four or five years, um, around those periods. So it's actually <laughs> nothing, you know, nothing to do with what I, I've really learned in my degree. But obviously, studying for that long does give you the tools to to branch out. So it is easier to get into, um, like different different centuries and you know stuff that you've never looked at before so yeah it's actually nothing nothing to do with what what i've studied so that's quite i mean that's quite interesting in itself i suppose
0: now if we if we start with your first choice i have to say that i'm i'm so glad that you chose a charles dickens book it's all of a twist because after i had given you the, the five books i'd chosen then i felt i felt that's bad if we, if we did a whole podcast on history books and we didn't include charles dickens so you've you've rescued the whole podcast
1: well, it was, my copy was actually a gift from you, so I feel like it was <laughs> it was meant to be.
0: Was that from that famous box of books that I, I sent you? or Was that from a, a different time I gave you the, the book?
1: No, no, that's that's one of the ones that, that you sent. So it, it came out the other end. Don't worry.
0: In terms of the book itself, why why has it made it onto this this short list of yours?
1: I think it's interesting that I, I don't think I've actually ever seen any TV or or film adaptations of Oliver Twist although you know everyone's quite familiar with the story the whole please sir can I have some more you know what I mean like everyone's like really really familiar with that and and the whole story and when I read it I honestly didn't have that high expectations of it and I don't know if that is just because
0: what you should have said is you didn't have great expectations for it
1: oh missed a good one there (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, I think because it is, you know, it has been kind of made the film and whatever time and time again. And, you know, you you think you do know it. So when I read it, I've never felt as sorry for a character as I did with Oliver Twist. Because he's just, he's such a good natured, positive person. He never succumbs to any, um, like any of the temptation, threats. You know, he never gets involved through his own choice really and any like criminal activity or anything but time and time again this terrible stuff just happens to him and I've just never felt I've never been rooting for someone I think as much as I was for him and I mean Charles Dickens just the way that he kind of paints a picture of of London in that period you know you feel like you're there you really do I'm, you know, I'm glad that I've never, I've never watched any, um, any of the films or anything like that, and and I'm glad that I, I just read the book. But yeah, I think just the main character himself, I was just rooting for him the whole time.
0: Well, do you know it's my, it's my favourite Charles Dickens book. I think because it was the first one I read, and there was actually a period where, for maybe about three or four, of the holidays we went on every year pre-kindle era when i used to bring a handful of books with me i always brought a, a dickens novel and it was always part of the holiday was reading uh, dickens great expectations and a tale of two cities absolutely love as well but oliver twist is my favorite but what's interesting is it's quite good that you've you've maybe not seen the film a lot of i remember growing up and the, it was a kind of the musical and fagin and and the artful dodger and because it was that musical and everybody recognised the songs and, that, you know, they'd be quite catchy. And I think it almost, not sanitised, but, you know, if you read the book, the book's absolutely brutal in terms of that world that he finds himself in and the poverty, the criminality, the brutality of it. And I don't I don't think you quite... It was a kind of film, I think, for all the family. So I, I don't think it <laughs> quite... I'm wondering whether some people maybe saw that film and thought, ah, it's, ah, it's great, I'll, I'll read the book and then we actually maybe quite taken aback at some parts.
1: Definitely, and and that's that's exactly why I'm glad that I haven't seen it because although I've never seen any like the films or the musical or anything like that, you do just have this this idea that it's you know the artful dodger and you know the gang you know they're all kids and they're all <laughs> in it together and lovable rogues and whatever else and and it, it, no it's not like that at all it's it is brutal and. And, it is, and he is in a very dangerous world. And they've obviously tried to downplay some of the main points of the book, I think. But yeah, you do you do get that idea from cultural representations of it that it is just kids. It's all kids. But, you know, it's, there's a lot of adults in the book that are really, they're trying to hurt him. They're trying to murder him. You know, he gets involved with a lot of serious, serious situations that, yeah, I don't think people would expect that at all.
0: And interesting, I think, like a lot of uh, Dickens' work. He originally wrote it, it was published in serial form, I think, over the course of two years. And I, I remember talking to somebody before about how it's almost like he's a kind of precursor to the, the kind of almost like a soap opera. Because every chapter, I almost had to have a cliffhanger in order to get people to read the next episode and the next episode and for people, for the people to publish it as well. So it's why, you know, there's always within the, within the novel when you're reading it and you get to the end of the chapter, you want to know what's happening next because that's the way he wrote it, that maybe people would have to wait another week to find out what happened next.
1: That's why I was like rooting for the character so much because, you know, he is just going through all this turmoil again and again and again and... When you're, I mean, obviously it's different if you're waiting each week for it, but I can imagine that would have just been absolute torture trying to wait and you know see what happens to them. Um, but that, I mean, that style definitely, I think that was like popular at the time anyway, or it was probably the only way he could maybe get it published. But I mean, it definitely works. It really did make me. I've never, I've just never wanted someone to succeed and be happy. I think as much as, as much as Oliver Twist.
0: And certainly if anybody hasn't read any Charles Dickens, that's the one I would recommend that people start with, partly because they'll, they will be familiar with the story or with, with some of the characters. I'm going to leap forward from the 19th into the 20th century for my first book choice, and that is All Quiet in the Western Front by Eric Maria Remarque. He's a, a German writer. He was a veteran of the First World War, and this book is basically telling of life, on the trenches from the German side, the futility of the war, the monotony, the boredom, but also the brutality. And is he the main character? I think it's, it's a guy called Paul Baumer and what's happening to him and, and that whole generation from that the German side. And I think it was interesting that it was published in 1929. Uh, again, it was originally published in serial form in a, a German magazine, but then very quickly was, was made into a, a book and was very popular within about Maybe three or four years, it was being banned and burned and labelled as a degenerate book by the Nazis because of its kind of defeatist negative portrayal of war and Germany. And, you know, people have subsequently seen it as as a kind of anti war book showing the that kind of the horror of it and the, the futility of it and the needless dying. So it's quite a short book, but it's it's really captivating. And I like the idea of just reading a novel from, I suppose, the, the other side, the the kind of the vanquished as opposed to the victors.
1: Yeah, I actually read it um, a couple of years ago, and again, like I, th- I mean, I, I just when you know when you are reading it from the kind of opposite the opposite side, and and I think he just does an amazing job of just humanising the whole thing because I mean, especially at that time, you know, these people were going to fight a war that they knew very little about they didn't see the Germans as humans or as people just like themselves. So I think he, he just done an amazing job of actually making them aware, you know what I mean, if that makes sense. Um, just just humanising it that it's not, war is not, you know, this exciting journey that they all thought they were going on with all their friends and, and it, was, it was brutal and, and it was, you know, you're killing people that are exactly like you, really.
0: As I say, I think that's, it's become, you know, such a famous novel and uh, published in English. And I find the fact that it became a, you know, it was obviously one of the novels that the Nazis hated in, in and banned the Barnabung, I think that just adds to its appeal. But what I liked about it at the time is that, and he was writing from his own experience, because I think he'd, he'd fought in the Western Front and actually been injured and, and had, to, you know, was invalided out of the conflict. But it's just that it's not quite mundane, some of the action, because it's just like kind of. You know, there's loads of periods, I think in war anyway, of long periods of inaction followed by short bursts of ferocity. And I think that comes across really well of the kind of tired that's getting towards the end of the war as well. And the kind of that war fatigue, but just given a really realistic portrayal of, you know, that whole generation, not only in Germany, but in, in Britain, it was wiped out.
1: I actually remember watching the film in school at, at some point. We we'd never read the book. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I read it. And, and there is a lot of sitting about. And, you know, they, they don't really share much with each other. And, and that probably shows that by that point they're very aware that they could, they could sit and share their whole life story and then within 20 minutes, you know, they could all be gone kind of thing. So it is a very, it could be a very short-lived time or... You know, years.
0: We're on to your second book choice of the five, Rebecca, and that is Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. I,
1: it's a really interesting contrast, I think, to Oliver Twist. And I don't think I was really aware of this until I, I kind of took some notes on, on my choices. Um, so it was written in 1847, so just six, seven years after um, Oliver Twist was. But I, don't, I honestly don't think that it could be more opposite if she had tried. I mean, for anyone that's that's not read it, it's set in the countryside in England and it's it kinda revolves around two two different families and one of them lives on the their estate which is called Wuthering Heights. And it's it basically it's kind of the story of their children growing up together and, you know, the relationships that they have with each other and within the household, but they're quite isolated. So I actually when I started to look it up, I came across this review that came out at the time, and the review said that the well, the reviewer said that they cannot perceive any very obvious moral to the story, which is really interesting because pretty much all the characters are completely deplorable. They they've honestly not really, they've not got any good qualities. It's such a strange story, and it's interesting because again, I think when you're growing up, I always had the impression that Wuthering Heights was like a, a love story, a romance, or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know if if you've read it or if you'd kind of thought the same. But I I was always under the impression that it was a love story, and it it's not. It's it's a story of like revenge, betrayal, complete pettiness. And and I I just kind of wonder where did where did this idea that it was a love story? Where did that come from?
0: I I've not I've never read the book. I think I'm still traumatized by that awful Kate Bush song uh, inspired <laughs> by it. But if somebody had asked me to kind of guess or try and explain what I thought it was about, I would be the same as you. I'm sure it's been made some countless times as a period drama, but I just always kind of associate these with the heart of them. They're all romances. So that would come as a surprise to me as well.
1: Oh, no, it's absolutely not. It, I mean, before I, I read it, I, I mean, I don't really know where I, I got these ideas from, but I just thought Heathcliff was, you know, the main love interest of Catherine. And, you know, they really want to be together, which isn't... It's not that far from the truth, but Catherine is extremely spoiled. She's only really interested in money and attention. And Heathcliff, he doesn't really know where he's come from. He doesn't really know his background. It's all very mysterious. He just comes to live with them and kind of becomes almost like a stepbrother. And he's very resentful of that from day one. So it's, it's really... I think it's a book about him trying to get revenge on the family and take the estate. I don't see a love story in it whatsoever.
0: I take it you enjoyed the book, yeah?
1: I did, yeah. I really enjoyed it, and I think it was because of that reason because it it didn't meet the you know what what I expected at all. Um, it was that all the characters are very strange and they're all quite evil and they're always trying they're trying to really make each other's lives a total misery. So, in it, and that's why I think it, it's a good, it's basically the opposite of, of Oliver Twist, I think, because in Oliver Twist, he's always trying to be positive and see the good in people and, and that's got typical Victorian ideals, but Wuthering Heights, it's it's just nothing like that whatsoever. But, I mean, it was very successful at the time and, and obviously still is, but yeah, I think it's been totally romanticised. I'd recommend the book to anyone just purely because I think it would it would shock you. Because it's there is underlying romance, but it's definitely not the main theme, not by a long shot.
0: We're on to my second book choice, and that's a book called Clan of the Cave Bear by Jean Owl. And it's the first in a series of books, they're called Earth's Children series, and they're, they're set in basically the time of the last ice age, so... 15 20 000 years ago and it's when a period when earth there was basically two kinds of human beings on earth and neanderthals and what are called cro Magnon, which would be our descendants and this book i read it on holiday one year and again i don't know what i must have just picked it up in a bookshop before we went away on holiday i was i remember just sitting in the sunshine reading the start of this book and it absolutely blew me away and it was one of those books where the first Couple of chapters are just so. First chapter even is just absolutely brilliant. I just couldn't put it down after that. And basically, the story starts with this a wee girl, five year old girl called Ayla, and I think she's wandering in the the woods near some water, just quite near where her family is. And there's a a massive earthquake, and obviously she gets separated from. I think the rest of the family get wiped out, and it's quite dramatic the way it's explained it's then just initially about her trying to survive in the aftermath of this earthquake she's then attacked by a lion and nearly you know left for dead and she's then rescued by uh, a group called the the clan which is a group of neanderthal humans she's she's from the other you know the kind of cro-magnon so they're kind of trying there's a kind of uneasy coexistence between the two on on earth and she then gets, gets brought up with them it's like that kind of clash of cultures because in a way, she's more advanced in terms of her thought process and her physicality and everything, even at a young age. But it's a world that's so brilliantly portrayed in the book. And I, I, it was one of those books, I just I just remember absolutely flying through it because it was just absolutely gripping. And I say, I think there's maybe about five or six in the series, and it just takes you on of the her story as she gets older, but also as a kind of how that is almost like a kind of battle in a way between the two... Groups of humans, is to see who will end up surviving and who will ultimately populate the earth.
1: So I haven't. Uh, I mean, I haven't read this, but when I was was kind of looking it up earlier, and the one thing that instantly came to my mind was the amount of research the author would have had to have conducted, you know, to write about something like this. It, it was probably a staggering amount of research that, and it, it's the same for all, like you know, historical fiction. I think readers probably really underappreciate how much re- uh, research actually goes in into writing them, and especially when you're dealing with like that kind of period.
0: I, I think she's a bit of an expert on that period now because of that. And I think the good thing is, like all the best writers of have, have historical fiction, I think you're absolutely right, probably even for that one book, there'd probably be you know volumes and volumes of research, but it's... Subtly dropped in that actually the most important thing is always is the story is the characters, which she does so well and but within that all the details are authentic, but it's not like she'll suddenly print pages and pages of historical facts from the time just to prove that she's done the research, otherwise you would stop reading, so it may just be uh, like a passing line as to kind of something the ate or the way they cooked or the kind of weapons they were using or the way they were hunting or something, but it's done in a way that you don't almost notice it it's quite subtle.
1: Well, I think as well with with that period, you know, when we are learning about about that period, you don't instantly think about the human connections and the human interactions that would have went on, you know, at that at that point between different groups or different clans. That I don't think that immediately springs to mind. You're more thinking about, you know, how they ate, how they hunted, how they lived in general but i think initially it doesn't come to mind how they actually interacted with each other so that would also be really difficult to try and bring that to life i think you would need to be really careful because like you were saying if you know she's got maybe a more advanced thought process you have to bring that out somehow
0: i mean i just love the idea of and i think that's maybe what it was when i looked at the back of the book the idea of a period in the history of the earth when there was more than one type of human beings so it was more <laughs> than one basically human species, and what happened that Neanderthal man or Neanderthals kind of lost out in a way. Um, And interestingly, if you, just to touch on your point, inside the book, many renowned scientists, archaeologists, anthropologists have praised the books because of the research and the authenticity of it. So they are just, they're they're really brilliantly kind of historical adventures, but, but in a period that maybe most of us don't really know too much about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I it would never, I would never probably choose to read something like that straight away, cause it's I probably overlooked, and maybe the difficulty of writing and researching about that period would would maybe put some some writers off, I guess.
0: We now again take another leap forward, not only just in terms of the time of history, but also the kind of history book for your third choice, which I suppose would be called an alternative history, um, which is Dominion by C. J. Sansom.
1: This is set in the 1950s in Britain. So at this point in the book, Britain had actually surrendered to the Nazis in 1940. So the, the war only lasted one year. So like fast forward 12 years, and Churchill is actually a resistant underground resistance leader. So he never becomes prime minister. Oswald Mosley is the Home Secretary. So in the 1930s, he was the leader of the British um, Union of Fascists. But he obviously supports the Nazis and he ends up kind of Home Secretary. And Lord Beaverbrook, who owned the Daily Express. So he's actually Prime Minister, although he was in Churchill's cabinet in real life. So, I mean, it's a typical CJ Sansom kind of murder mystery, whodunna adventure. Um, He just does such an amazing job of, you know, recreating this Britain that, you know, most people couldn't even fathom. Basically, um, Frank Munkaster is a scientist, but he's been um, sectioned and held in a mental hospital because he knows this secret. He's got this secret that the Nazis really want to find out. And he's you know, considered quite a dangerous person. So they've basically sectioned him. Um, and the resistance are trying to get him out so they can find out this massive secret first. The difficulty with these kind of alternate history books is... They have to be believable because you obviously know that what he's writing about didn't actually happen, but it has to be believable enough that you think that could have happened, which is it's a really difficult, a really difficult thing to do, but you maybe just have to do it enough. So his story doesn't centre around any politicians or any major figures who were real, but he still manages to make them important parts of the story.
0: I always like that idea of you know it's almost like just changing like in his book what happens if churchill doesn't become prime minister but i think it's at halifax becomes prime minister and germany wins the war and it, it kind of reminded me of fatherland uh, the robert harris book which again took the idea that, that germany had won the war and what was happening in, in post-war that whole idea of how a completely different world Although i think has a set in germany but i think you're right i think i suppose if you tell people this is the new reality it's They either go with you or they don't. Because as soon as you say, right, this is what happened because Germany won the war and Britain's a satellite state of of Nazi Germany, then it's a whole new world anyway, whatever you do within it.
1: Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, I mean, I also think it's important that he still keeps real people in the book and they've now got real positions. So yeah, you kind of have to imagine that's just how things are. But these people were real and this is kind of how it would be if you know, things were different and they had succeeded to to different positions. It's
0: quite a departure, because obviously if anybody's listened to the podcast episode when you were on just choosing your favourite books, it was the Matthew Shardlake series, which is a completely, obviously, they're just historical novels, but a completely different time period for C.J. Samson
1: to be writing in. It does follow a kind of similar style, because again, in, in the Matthew Shardlake series, he does use real figures and real people that... The character interacts with so again it's it's got to be believable although that's not an alternate that's not an alternate history so that's i think dominion would probably have been a bit more difficult
0: if he's writing novels setting as is, is Shardlake lake setting the is it 16th or 17th century the 16th so historically he has to get those historical details right in order to give it that authenticity whereas if he sets a book in late 1940s early 1950s britain in a world where the Nazis won the war, it's not like he can put something in and somebody goes, "Nah, that's that's not right," because he's just made up his whole world.
1: But again, I think it's about making it believable. So I think it's you're less likely to include something made up in a more recent book. So that that's obviously set in 1952. Because I think if you just start, if you just start making stuff up you know like i know it's obviously an alternate history but you want to make it as believable as possible like this could have happened this is how things would be you know if britain has surrendered so i think it's less likely that although he's created a new world i think you would still want to stick stick to the truth as much as you can kind of thing
0: that sounds like the sort of thing we should really get cj sansom on the podcast to ask him about that would be excellent <laughs> i'd even let you do the interview rebecca We are now on to book six which is my third choice and it's a book called paul a novel i think i might have mentioned it in the, a podcast episode before i've just chosen it just because it's my name uh, it's by a guy called walter wangeren and basically it's a fictionalized story of saint paul who was the apostle was saul was a persecutor of christians and then had that the miraculous vision on the road to Damascus, and and you know suddenly saw the light, as it were, and became a Christian and believer in in Jesus, and is probably the I think the key figure in the spread of Christianity. You know he was the the great evangelist in terms of his his letter writing and you know his travels going all over that kind of part of the world setting up churches and spreading the word and it's so he's a, he's a absolutely pivotal figure but the, what's brilliant about these books where he's just taking that character and people's only other reference point is the letters of St Paul and then just what was in the Bible so he's then able just to use that as the kind of the kind of spine but within that bringing to life this strange character who was obviously zealous in terms of his religious belief first in terms of being jewish and, and persecuting christians but then becoming a convert and becoming absolutely evangelical for the new faith and it's just it's really so brilliantly written and again using historical characters but just fleshing them out a wee bit
1: was it at all like controversial when it came out or did the church support it or anything That's what i was kind of wondering
0: it's probably just been ignored. I, I would say, so I think there was a, a a book. I think maybe a biography of of Saint Paul came out maybe towards the end of last year, and had some controversial ideas and themes within it, which would have been more contentious. But I think this is just telling the story, but using the the kind of what people already know as as the basis of it. So I don't think it was it wasn't suddenly saying you know people's perceptions of who he might have been he wasn't on that on his head so i think it was as i say it was just trying to in a novel form bring a, a kind of historical biblical character to life because he did the same thing with he wrote a book on jesus as well just a, a novel basically telling the story of jesus but in novel form
1: i mean i have to say there it's probably not something i would initially jump at the chance of reading
0: <laughs> that was quite diplomatic I mean, I read it a few years ago, and I've read it a couple of times. Partly it would have been, I don't know, of an interest and a motivation of my own religious beliefs. He is one of the key figures in the last 2,000 years of history, because if you even just take how important Christianity has been in the last 2,000 years in terms of culture, art, war, politics, economics, throughout the world... And he was absolutely pivotal in spreading that in the first place. So he's, he is a key figure in what came after it as Christianity expanded and it, and all the influences it had, you know, all over the world for years and years and years. So from that respect it's quite interesting. But it's I just like the fact that it kinda just tried to kinda humanize somebody who's who's just appears previously in the Bible.
1: Well that's kinda of what I was thinking. I mean, it, it's a huge task to do that for a figure who's not not that he's not well known, but he's not well known in terms of fiction, or you know, it's hard to portray what he was like, kind of thing. So that that's a huge task to take on because, you know, especially anything religious, like you could potentially get a lot of a lot of backlash from people. I would think
0: from his point of view, because he could take what what was already known, which is as I say, which is in the Bible, but then he can embellish it because then there's no nothing to contradict him. But there was another, there was a book that came out it was about four or five years ago, Colm Tobin wrote it, called The Testament of Mary. It was a really s- small book. It was nominated for the Booker Prize. And again, it was taking the story of after the crucifixion, and it's basically in the voice of Mary. And she's in a basically in a safe house, you know, away from, you know, the Romans or, or the, the Jewish authorities trying to capture her. But then she's grieving as a mother. But she keeps getting visited by some of Jesus' disciples and they're trying it's almost like it's kind of almost implying like they're trying to get their story right so they've all you know of what the kinda of narrative's gonna be, but she's still just this mother that's grieving for her son that she saw getting executed horribly. Because they their key figures, that might have been a bit more controversial, although it was so brilliantly written that it's a it's a perfect book to read actually.
1: I mean, I guess for something like that, you just kinda think these these narratives end at the crucifixion. That that's it <laughs> kind of thing, yeah. A, a huge task, I think, to try and maybe explain what happened to Mary afterwards, and yeah, just humanise her that how uh, she was still a mother grieving. Um, that would be a really difficult task, actually.
0: We are on to your fourth book choice, and this is a book called A Woman of No Importance by Sonia Purnell.
1: Um, so this is a book I actually just finished reading a couple of weeks ago, and. I had kind of said to myself during the lockdown that I wanted to try and read more um, women's history and, you know, after studying it for so long and it's still such a neglected neglected area really, so I kind of said, right, I'll try and read as much as I can. So I really bought this book, knowing absolutely nothing about it. It tells the story of Virginia Hall, who was a young American woman in the Second World War who actually went to work for the British intelligence and she was basically a resistance leader in France, in Lyon, during the Second World War, um, just after the Nazis had uh, occupied France. I mean, her story is just unbelievable to me, and, and I really struggled to believe how, how, we didn't, how I didn't already know about her. And, I mean, she spent almost the entire war in France. She trained thousands of resistance fighters and armed them, fed them, built these huge networks organized sabotage and, and on many levels throughout France in the area and, and she also had a disability in that it was a hunting accident in Turkey where she'd accidentally shot shot herself in the leg so she had to have her leg amputated from the knee down and apparently most people weren't even aware of this so I mean her story is just unbelievable and you know she had this amazing life that I think it has basically been overlooked un- until very recently. But it was a fantastic book.
0: I had never heard of her. I suppose it's kind of like maybe kind of what you just touched on. There. It's the is it the forgotten history or the that we should know more about? Loads of figures because there's been a couple of films recently and I think on and books based on either some of the women who who worked you know during the war or even in terms of the space race of just trying
1: to. I'm actually reading that right now. <laughs> Is that, hidden is figures hidden Figgers? Hidden Figgers, yeah. yeah
0: but again it's just that idea of well basically i mean that's the perfect title for a book then because that's exactly what it, what's happened with a lot of these you know women that they become hidden figures
1: it was actually this book her heart can end really so very sad because i mean she was hunted by the nazis throughout the war because she was seen as such a massive threat because she did organize these networks of resistance fighters and she recruited thousands of people and you know they could never find her she was just she had disguises and I mean from from what the book has said she was just really personable and could, could recruit allies very easily so i mean they, they they never found her they never captured her or questioned her um but it's when she goes back to the states after the war um so she's actually one of the first women who are recruited by the CIA but then that's kind of where it gets very very depressing as a woman mainly because despite her having this amazing career throughout the war, she's one of the best agents. Well, she works for the British intelligence um, and the Americans as well. She's like one of the best field agents they would ever had. But when she goes to work for the CIA, it's, you know, she may as well have not done any of it because they will only give her desk jobs basically as a, a kind of clerk or a, a secretary or something, purely because she's a woman. So it's not actually until... Um, I think it was so like 2015, I was reading, that they actually named a building after her at the CIA because and they admitted that for years, um, you know, they, they basically prevented her from doing her job because she was a woman.
0: I mean, you just wonder how many times that happened to different people.
1: I mean, she managed to organise these networks of resistance fighters and escape the Nazis for five years with a wooden leg, you know, and no one ever knew. It's, it is very sad, and I mean, it's it has probably happened to, well, definitely to thousands and thousands of women throughout history, but yeah, I just, I mean, I just thought her story was amazing, and I found myself actually looking things up constantly, because I was like, how did I not know this? It's such a massive part of French history as well, and I think recently they they recognised her, and I don't know if it was, like, kind of early 2000s, they, they actually recognised her contributions to the war.
0: I suppose sometimes, especially if we are, I mean, we're really just, sometimes we just get the the history that we're taught and it's only when you, you know, either you stumble upon it or you find out and that kind of sort of gets your imagination going to find out those stories that we probably all should have been taught long before now.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many periods in history that you can, you can say that about. And again, like, if you don't study it, like, if you're only really getting the information that you're given in school, which can be pretty restrictive... You might, not, you might never know any of this, really, unless you, you kind of go out your way to, to try and find out, which a lot of people end up doing through watching documentaries or series or, or whatever, like people watching Outlander and, and things like that and the Wolf Hall trilogy, and that might kind of inspire people to, to learn more. Um, I would definitely recommend this.
0: We are on to my fourth book choice, and this is a book called The Hangman's Daughter by Oliver potch and it's the first in a series of historical novels set in the in germany in the mid 17th century and they're kind of historical thrillers murder mysteries and the main character is a hangman called jacob kuzo and i think oliver potch is the author is actually a distant descendant of a guy called kuzo who was a hangman back in the kind of the 17th century i've no idea how I I found myself reading these books. I originally read them on Kindle, and I don't know whether it was one of those ones where they were maybe just on offer at the time, and I downloaded a couple of them, and again, I I was reading them on holiday, and they're brilliant thrillers. He's a fantastic character, and the hangman was a kind of necessary evil in these towns and villages who would do all the dirty work, but also was a kind of, almost an, not a kind of medicine man, a kind of healer. So at the same time as being the guy who would execute someone on behalf of the town, he was also the guy that people would come to if, sometimes if, if they couldn't go to the actual doctor or couldn't afford to go to the doctor. And he had like lot, a lot of natural cures and medicines, et cetera, to help people. He's a brilliant character. He's also his daughter who is a great female character because I think at that time, obviously, the girls were just meant to just be married off, but she's this independent girl who wants to learn the skills and the secrets of his trade as well. And then within this, murders are happening and they're having to investigate and it's really, really meticulously researched. You're really in that period. They're thrilling, thrilling books. I think, as I say, I think there's about seven of them in the series and they're just great historical thrillers.
1: Yeah, I have to say it does it does sound right up my street, to be honest. I, I kinda briefly uh, read about them earlier. It does sound very interesting, but I didn't know that he had like a kinda double role, I guess, as like a healer.
0: I think because of the job that he had and because obviously they're the people who they were kind of not not quite shunned but they didn't you know they almost lived on the edge of the village people have a, a wariness about them or about him because of what he represents and who he is maybe partly because they're thinking one day he could be stringing me up from a tree but as i say he also the part of their I suppose their skills or the, the secrets of their trade was in knowing how to use natural resources in terms of, you know, helping people for all sorts of, you know, even toothache or things because you had to pay to the official doctor. And in this, it's great because he has a really good relationship with the, the local doctor. And I think he knows more in some respects than, than the doctor does. That's something that I wouldn't have realised either. But I think this guy's obviously gone back and, and looked into that whole period and and that kind of character. And I think partly I'm not sure if it started because he he was researching his family tree and discovered that when he went back that far that one of his relatives had been a hangman.
1: I mean, I guess now that I think about it, we used to have barber surgeons, which is two very strange occupations. Yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense that he would do multiple roles, but I wonder if it's the same in in other countries or, or just there. No, that's interesting.
0: For people who just like... A good historical thriller of just it's a kind of historical crime thriller because he effectively and his family get caught up in various <laughs> things that are happening and they have to help sometimes solve these crimes. And the nature of the, the period it's some of it's quite brutal as well, but absolutely captivating. And as I say, I don't know, I have no idea how I managed to stumble upon the series, but they were absolutely gripping.
1: Have you read all of them or just the first one?
0: No, I've read about, I think I'm up to about book five of the seven now. And again, it was one of those ones where there was a period where it was just, it was a book. I just thought that would be part of my holiday reading. And I would just read, it was only when we were going away on holiday that I would, I would read one. So, But they're, they're really, they are. I would hardly recommend them. We are on to your fifth and final choice, which I'm not sure if, well, there's not any rules in these podcasts, so you're not quite cheating, but we've gone from book number five, but you're recommending a series which is of, of six books, so really you're recommending about ten to everybody in this.
1: Well, she's only actually written four of them, I think. Well, I think the fourth one or fifth one, I can't remember, one of them yeah. is actually just coming out. So it's uh, Six Tudor Queens series by Alison Weir, so the reason that I've I've chosen this and it's about the 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 wives of, of Henry the Eighth. So I think she's got yeah, I think the first four are already out and there's one kinda coming up. But the reason I, I picked them is and and it I actually came up with this term while I was making my notes, is I would actually call them gateway books. So I think this is quite a difficult period and that a lot of people Think that they know loads about the Tudors and loads about about that period in, in the 16th century, but then when you look at a book or a series like Wolf Hall, um, the Hilary Mantel series, it's very difficult at times and very intense, and there's a lot of a lot of concentration involved. So I, I think these books are a really good way if you want to get into that period because. Although it's so well known, there's so many different angles that, that you can take it from. So the Alison Weir series is going to be really different from Philippa Gregory, who also writes about um, the Tudor period and just kind of before and after that. So she she writes that, but it's very different styles. Both of those are from a female perspective, but they're a really good set of kind of introductory books if you're interested in that period. So that that's one of the main reasons that I chose it. And, you know, each book is is kind of dedicated to, to each queen and, and tells her story, and it, it is from a female perspective. So it is, she does, like, meticulous research, but it's not as serious, I guess, as the Hilary Mantel series, which is why I think it's a really good introductory series. I, I can't just pick one. There's a wider purpose for them. <laughs>
0: I mean, is it frustrating the fact that you now have to, you know, once you've read off and the fourth one's just out, then you have to wait uh, while she gets, gets round to writing the last two?
1: Well, not really, because I already know the story, so I already know what happens with all of them. And, you know, you're not waiting on this surprising ending, or you're not really waiting, you know, to find out what to to each of them, because you already know. It's more interesting to see her perspective on it, So she's obviously conducting this research and I've read a lot of the Philippa Gregory and, you know, different other writers. She's probably the best example of the time who write from a female perspective and they all are very different. So I think it's more how is she going to present it rather than what's going to happen kind of thing because I already know what's going to happen.
0: Has she written them as novels or as biographies?
1: Yeah, as novels because there is fictional events or fictional characters Um that's the good thing about them though I think is that again it does spark your interest so it makes you want to go and find out more and did that person exist and did this thing actually happen and what's real and what's not and I, I would say that for the most part she does stick to the facts very well Um 'cause because they do obviously have to undertake a lot of research and because it is well known you can't really stray away from it too much so it's actually more. She's just building on speculation. So things that may may have happened, or people you know have speculated that might have happened. She's just kind of building on that.
0: So in terms of the the six wives, what ones has she has she done, and what which ones is she still to do?
1: So she's written Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn, Jane Seymour, Anne of Cleves, and then it's Catherine Howard that's coming out, I think, in August. And then Catherine Parr will be probably another couple of years. So, yeah, so each of them is obviously dedicated to to each queen and kind of tells the story of where they grew up and how they actually came to these positions and, you know, how they died. And it's very much from their perspective. So a lot of people would see Anne Boleyn as this evil, adulteress and... Incestuous and and you know she was obviously beheaded and she, she kind of tries to soften that and that's not really what she was like and and again you know we're never really going to know so that's why it's interesting to see different authors' perspectives on you know how these people are presented.
0: Kind of goes back to when I was talking earlier on about the the book about Saint Paul about kind of fleshing out characters and if you if you do it as a novel then you it gives you a wee bit more scope. Because you're you're taking whatever historical details you know, but then you're giving them a character as as you think they might be.
1: Yeah, and I, I like definitely, and I think that's something people definitely forget is although they're you know they're all historical figures, they were real at some point. <laughs> like they lived and they were married and had social lives and friends and homes and families and they they did exist. So uh, it's just about trying to imagine how they would have been and, yeah, just trying to give them an actual persona, I suppose, because I think people probably do very much forget that, especially when you start going as far back um, as this period and, and before that. Um, I think you kind of you forget they were real people. And I have to say that the UK versions of the books just have the most beautiful covers as well, so it's going to make a lovely collection on my bookshelf.
0: <laughs> I think, did you, was it not one, I can't remember which one it was, that you were staying in America at the time and you you got me to buy the, the UK version because think, of
1: that? I can't remember which one it was. Might have been the Anne of Cleves one. Cause that's the other most one? Is that the one that's red? No, that's the Jane Seymour one. Just had to check there. So it might have, I know, I can't remember. But yeah, I think if, if you want a good introduction to the period, that series in particular and, and other ones like that are a really good way to spark your interest.
0: And we're at the 10th and final book on this historical books podcast. And the book I've chosen is Hiroshima by John Hersey. And this is a a non-fiction uh, account uh, of basically what happened and the aftermath of the first atomic bomb that was dropped in Hiroshima in August 1945. And John Hersey was a, an American journalist. He was one of the first, I think, certainly first Western journalists to get to Hiroshima just under a year after the bomb was dropped and basically tells the story of through six of the survivors of this horrific attack and what has happened to them, but then also goes back and stunningly describes that moment and that morning when that bomb was dropped. And it does it so cinematically and real drama because it starts off as a kind of, I think the first chapter is called a noiseless flash and that's what everybody sees at first, you know, before the the crescendo of noise, the fire, the, basically, the, the kind of apocalypse coming on in Hiroshima, and I think there was about, I think it's about a 100,000 people died in that, and it's so incredibly written, it's a real piece of reportage, I think it was originally published in the New Yorker magazine, and I th- their original idea was to publish it episodically, but I think it was so good, they just basically turned over one episode, uh, one edition of the magazine, the whole edition was basically John Hersey's report which became very quickly was published as a book and apart from just describing the the horror of what happened there as as a book to illustrate the horrors the futility the, the absolute insanity of atomic nuclear weapons doesn't probably no other book. It does it as, as well as that because at the same time as describing what happens and you know when the bomb drops in the aftermath, as the shock of the the explosion spreads out and then that kind of brings with it the carnage. He then also brings it right down into the kind of the very human suffering and on an individual basis of people and characters and what happened to them and how they survived or didn't survive in the aftermath of this and it is. It's an inc- it's an incredible book. It's quite a short book. It's just one of these books you can't put down, but it's so meticulously brilliantly written and so powerful
1: i mean i've I've heard people justify the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and i've I've heard people over the years say, oh, you know, it probably saved more lives in the long run. That may very well be true. Cause I think it was after Nagasaki's when they surrendered. but again, I think people, you know at the end of the day over a hundred thousand people were still killed you know walking to work at work at the shops and their homes on on a bus on a tram anything like you think that you know you're just going about your your daily life and you know that happens and um, I mean I'm looking forward to reading it because it does sound like you shouldn't have to humanize an event like that but it's necessary like to find you know these people's stories and how they were affected, and you know how everyday people were, were actually affected by it, rather than saying, "Oh, you know, it's probably saved more lives in the long run." Like that's not that's not really the point, I guess.
0: I mean, I think if you are not cynical, but there's almost a if you go back to that period that someone was going to drop an atomic bomb. If almost as I say, it's kind of horrific to actually think that it's almost like a kind of experiment to for the world to see what it, this was capable of had to happen it couldn't be you know just another test another test you know that's just massive explosion they can measure the the power of it it was almost as if you know if america hadn't done it then would they have done it later would the soviet union have done it as i say almost like hiroshima and nagasaki were the kind of the guinea pigs as it were they were the the collateral damage of testing out this weapon of mass destruction which is then because people have then seen what the devastation of it have then so I, you know realized that the effects of the devastating effect to humanity, it would be. It's the human stories that that really make the book. Because I think if he just written a book and going in and, and just kind of done a kind of overview of even the devastation, I don't think it would have the same power as when he kind of introduces the characters and you kind of run with them through the book because they sometimes pop up and then disappear and then pop up again. And it, it's quite good the fact he kind of jumps from one to the other. So you kind of get into their stories and hope, you know, they're willing all the way along that each of them, you know, survives. But the description and the, I say, just even that, trying to imagine, you know, people from, I can't remember how many miles away it is, you know, somebody's sitting in their house and they see that flash and at the time it's just, you know, it's just like a flash in the distance and then, you know, almost in the blink of an eye, they're just, they're just wiped off the face of the earth.
1: I mean, it kind of puts me in mind of All Quiet on the Western Front, just in the sense that, like, you do know about these events from government point of view and political point of view. And like you were saying, um, you know, if, if they didn't do it, someone else would have, maybe at a different time, different place. But you're usually learning about it and, you know, getting this knowledge from from the top, effectively. And it, it kind of the same as All Quiet in the Western Front, and that, you know, you learn a lot about the First World War. In general terms, from each country, from their leaders, from the politicians, from their decisions. But in both books, I guess they are trying to humanise it and bring it from a real perspective that you can actually relate to, kind of thing. Like that's that that's what kind of sprung to mind straight away when when I was looking it up. It's it is like the everyday person, and you know if they are kind of popping up at, at different times in the book, and you know they had real lives, and how did this actually affect? real people kind of thing and not, not just like, oh it happened on, on this large scale and this is how, why it happened, like we know why it happened, but it's how did it actually affect people.
0: I mean it's a brilliant example of journalism as well that he has gone back and been able to, the time he even came back, this the city would have been still in absolute devastation because it was within about a year or so of the the bomb being dropped and, and been able to find these stories and tell these stories and put into this really captivating narrative but absolutely and utterly true uh, is just it's brilliant i mean i would i would urge anybody to read it just because i mean it really does the horror of war and the, the terrifying reality of, of nuclear war is all in that book
1: yeah i'm looking forward to reading it
0: well that uh, i think that's given people plenty of historical books to to be getting on with so that was about i about 14 15 recommendations So I'll pass that book on to you. And it was good chatting to you on the podcast again.
1: Yep, thanks for having me back.
0: Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast and I'd love to hear what you've thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast, or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulkuddihy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading.